Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse, reading from verses 21 to 43. Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. You'll find that on page 840 in those Bibles. I'm really glad that Alex Hanna is going to be preaching for us this evening. Alex uh, has been with us for quite a few years in our church family. Alex is the staff worker working here in Aberdeen with uh, the Christian unions at Aberdeen University, Robert Gordon University. He's well known to many of us. Alex, it's great to have you uh, bringing, bringing God's word to us this evening. So let me read for us Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Imagine the despair that this woman was in, her poverty, all her hope exhausted. But, verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. May God bless his precious holy word to us. Let's sing together again. You're the word of God the Father. Well, good evening, and please have um, Acts, or sorry, Mark chapter um, 5 open in front of you. Um, last week, we moved into a new section of Mark's Gospel, um, a section of four desperate situations, situations and circumstances that serve as reminders that we live in a fallen and broken world. Last week, we looked at natural disaster we looked at the forces of evil. And this week we're confronted with the reality of sickness and death. And I don't need to spend um, too long, do I, about just how much we as humans fear those two things. How much we are terrified of sickness and eventually death. Over the last 18 months, we've stood on our doorsteps clapping for the NHS, those in the front lines fighting against the enemy of sickness trying to prevent death. On our news feeds, on our television screens, we were given daily updates about just how many people were sick with the virus and how many succumbed to it in death. Natural, natural disasters, forces of evil, sickness, death, they're all hallmarks of a broken world, hallmarks of this broken world. And when confronted with these hallmarks, we can often find ourselves defeated, hopeless, desperate. But as we heard last week, Mark doesn't include these incidents to simply remind us of our brokenness or to make his gospel more relatable. But rather, Mark is consistent in his aim of his gospel. Mark's focus is to present Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And so last week, we saw Jesus calm the storm that caused seasoned fishermen to fear for their lives, followed by the driving out of legion, a number of unclean evil spirits who destroyed a man's life. In doing so, we saw that Jesus has authority over authority and power over nature, over forces of evil. And we were left asking, along with the disciples in chapter 4, verse 41, who is this man? Who is this man? Well, this week in this passage, we see that Mark carries on this theme, this theme of deathly desperation, serving up how Jesus can make a difference in our desperation. We'll see the difference that Jesus makes to a 12 long years. We'll see the difference he makes to 12 short years. And we'll see the difference he makes to the rest of our years. But note, this isn't the only thing that Mark serves up. The gospel writer, he is famous for serving up sandwiches. Now, let me explain before you think that I've lost my mind. But the sandwich is one of Mark's favorite structural devices as he writes his gospel, where he will take two stories and weave them together. A slice of bread, the filling in the middle, followed by another slice of bread. And in weaving these stories together, he wants us to see that they're related 
And not only that, but they help explain one another. So what is the sandwich on offer for us today? Well, Mark records for us, Jesus um, records for us, Jesus' return from across the Sea of Galilee. And as he steps foot on the banks of the sea, a crowd appears. A crowd appears around him. But unlike the crowd in the Decapolis who demanded that he left, this crowd, they gather around, seeking Jesus. And Mark records for us that through the crowd comes Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue. He was a man of status, the ruler, the leader, the leader of the synagogue. Now, he didn't have theological training like the rabbi, but he was in charge of all the practicalities of local worship. He was a well-known, well-respected member of the community. But what Mark records for us is absolutely out of the ordinary for a man of such status. When he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet, verse 22. In verse 23, he implores him, he begs Jesus for help. What could have possibly happened to bring this man of noble status to his knees? Well, the answer is in verse 23. It's his little girl. It's his daughter. As he looks up to Jesus, he says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Or more literally, my little daughter is at the end. Now, we don't know what is wrong, what was wrong with his daughter. We don't know whether it was an acute illness or whether it was something more long-term. But it's clear. This isn't a job for Calpol. This is a 999 emergency. This girl, his little daughter, is at the point of death. You know, it usually takes a lot for us to admit when we're helpless, doesn't it? To admit when we need help. It sometimes takes us to be completely broken by our circumstances to just see how truly weak we are. And for Jairus, it took his daughter, 12 years of age, to be at death's door. Four times in this passage, we are reminded of Jairus' status, ruler of the synagogue. Four times. Four times reminding us that despite this man's authority, despite his status, despite his wealth, despite his position, there is nothing he can do. Nothing in the slightest in the face of death. He like every other broken human being, is is powerless when confronted with death. It truly is the great leveler. Jairus is in a deathly, desperate situation. So Jairus does the one thing, the only thing he can do. He comes to Jesus. And he comes confidently. Look, he, come, he says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He has confidence in Jesus. We're not told about where Jairus knew Jesus from. We don't know how much he knew of Jesus' teaching or his healing miracles, but he knows enough. He knows enough that he is able to confidently turn to Jesus when in such a powerful situation. So Jesus agrees. He goes along with Jairus. And the spotlight is suddenly taken off Jairus. He becomes just another member of the crowd. And Mark moves us into the filling of a sandwich. In verse 25, we're introduced to a woman. A woman who herself is in a desperate situation. We assume that she was a normal woman. A woman who was just a member of her community, getting on with her life. Well, that was until 12 years prior where we were told that she developed a chronic condition 
most likely a menstrual condition, which has, which has left her bleeding for 12 years. 12 long years. 12 long years with this condition, with this illness. And like most people, she sought the usual avenues for getting better. She saw many physicians. She, she went to them, seeking for them to help her, seeking for them to heal her. But instead, they caused suffering and left her with nothing. Not only did she not get better, but she grew worse. Now, not only is her condition incredibly undignified and debilitating, but this condition, under the law, also cuts her off from the community and the covenant of Israel. Leviticus reminds us that if a woman is bleeding, she is to be separated from the community until her time of bleeding is over, until her time of uncleanliness is past, until she is declared clean, and then she is able to rejoin the community. This poor woman has not only suffered this illness for 12 years with no end in sight, but she is destined to be an outcast, an outcast forever, without community, forever denied to access to God in his temple, all because this woman is forever unclean. Despite everything she tried, despite spending all that she had, she was unable to be made clean. She is left forever an outcast. But things changed for this woman in verse 27. We read that she heard about Jesus. And we know that she believed what she heard. She had faith. We know that she had faith because she acted on it. That's how faith is shown and proven. We'd be questioning whether she did have faith if upon hearing about Jesus she believed but yet chose to do nothing. Believing that Jesus had the power to help her but yet chose to remain in agony as an outcast. No, this woman had faith. Real faith. Real faith that moved her to do something about it. For her, it wasn't enough to sit and know that Jesus was a saviour for people. It wasn't enough to know that Jesus was even the saviour. No, this woman believed that Jesus could be her saviour. So despite her illness, despite her unclean status, she makes her way through the, cloud, through the crowd, reaching out just to touch the hem of his clothes, knowing in verse 28, if I touch his garment... I will be made well. And Mark tells us, using one of his favorite words, immediately, immediately, the flow of blood stopped and she was healed. Twelve long years of illness, twelve long years of separation, gone in a moment with Jesus. Now you may be there thinking that this woman was just superstitious, that she was healed by the robes of Jesus. And if that's the case, then you might be thinking it's worth your way, making, it's worth making your way to Italy just to touch the Shroud of Turin on the off chance it's real. Well, you can cancel those tickets, you can put away your passport, because this is not a comment about the power of the clothes, but rather is a comment on the power of the one wearing them. And Jesus doesn't give her the option to just slip away back into the crowd and get on with her life, even with the possibility of thinking that it was because of the clothes that made her well. No, Jesus wants her to know Jesus wants her to confess her faith and know that it was her faith that healed her. Jesus is going to make it clear that it wasn't some magic robe, that it wasn't even because she touched him, but rather it was her faith that had healed her. So we read Jesus sensing some power going from him. Um, Mark's favorite word again, he immediately stops, immediately stops in the middle of the crowd, 
and says, who touched my garments? The disciples, they're a little muddled. They're on their way to heal this little girl. They're surrounded by a crowd, pushing in from all directions. And Jesus is stopping to ask who touched them. But Jesus stops and asks again, who touched me? And this is when the woman knows that she needs to come forth. Last week we saw in the first two episodes that this section has themes of fear and faith. Fear along with faith. Well, here we see another example of the fear-faith response to Jesus. Verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. This woman approached Jesus with fear and trembling. It's understandable why she was so afraid. Not only would it have been embarrassing to, to share all the details, but to be a woman answering a man in that culture, also to be even coming into the, cloud, into the crowd whilst unclean. She had every right to be afraid. But upon hearing her story, Jesus says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus has authority over sickness. She approached Jesus full of fear, but is now leaving full of faith. Notice how Jesus does not chastise her for coming forward. He does not rebuke her for her actions, but instead, full of love and compassion for this woman, he calls her daughter. And let's not lose the significance of this. For 12 long years, this woman has been an outcast. This woman has been cut off from the covenant family of God. And here is Jesus calling her daughter. She is welcomed into a family, into a family with Jesus. She came to Jesus sick, but has left well. She arrived in desperation, but has left in peace. She came as an outcast, but has left as a family member. She entered the crowd unclean, but now stands among them clean. And isn't this a wonderful picture of the gospel? That like this woman, all of us are in a truly hopeless situation, inflicted by a horrible condition. Not bleeding, but sin. A condition which has cut us off from community. A condition which has cut us off from God. Forcing us to be the unclean outcasts. Like this woman, we can spend all that we have searching in so many different places in so many different ways for a solution to that problem for something to try to make us clean. But instead of helping us, they leave us with nothing. They actually leave us in worse condition. But like this woman, everything, everything changes when you hear about Jesus. And faith in him, knowing that he can be my savior, can not only give us peace, but can make us clean, can bring us into the community, can bring us into covenant, bring us into his family, allows us to be called daughter or son. But we're not allowed to be left rejoicing with the woman on her healing because there's still the issue of Jairus' deathly ill daughter. And when we pick it back up, the worst thing imaginable has happened. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It was too late. Jairus' little girl had died. 
Now imagine the emotions for a second. You come to Jesus in an emergency, your daughter needing life-saving treatment, and Jesus stops to help this woman. Twelve years is an awfully long time to be ill. But twelve years is an awfully short time to be alive. Twelve short years. Twelve short years. That's all his daughter had. This woman, she was ill for twelve years. She was ill as long as this girl was alive. Surely she could have waited a little longer. Surely Jesus could have healed both of them if he hadn't stopped. What was Jesus thinking? It's like the ambulance en route to help the critically ill daughter of a local celebrity stopping to help a homeless woman with a chronic illness. It's bizarre. We would be outraged. And look at the response. Well, don't bother the teacher. It's a waste of time. When we saw Jairus earlier, he was sure that Jesus could help. But now? Well, now his daughter is dead. And if Jesus is just the teacher, then what's the point in bothering him any further? Jesus could heal the sick, but surely this was even above his pay grade. Surely even Jesus is powerless in the face of death. But what this messenger and what Jairus don't realize at this time is that Jesus is in complete control of the situation. He turns to him and says, Do not fear, only believe. There again, the fear and faith theme. And Jesus is calling him to faith. That despite how desperate the situation appears, he says, Do not fear but believe. Jesus entered the house with the inner three of the apostles. He entered with Jairus to find the 12-year-old girl dead and a commotion, a group of mourners, weeping and wailing. Now, they may have been professional mourners, mourners brought in, but regardless of who they were, Jesus asked them in verse 39, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, medicine has advanced over the past 2,000 years, but even then, they knew when someone was dead and when they were not. They knew the difference between a deep slumber and death. And thus, their response highlights what they believe. It highlights their unbelief. They laugh. They laugh at Jesus. So Jesus casts them outside, leaving only the inner three apostles, the parents, and the corpse of this little girl with the room emptied, with the parents and disciples standing there. Not one of them expected what would happen next. Jesus takes the little girl by the hand, breaking all ceremonial law by touching her, by touching a dead body, risking his own cleanliness. And he says to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise, or literally, little lamb, get up. These are words of compassion. Words a father would say to his daughter. Jesus does not merely use people he heals as object lessons, but he deeply cares about them. We see a Jesus who deeply cares about the people he helps, about the people he saves. Verse 42, And immediately the girl arose and began walking around. And Mark's favorite word once again, Immediately they were overcome with amazement. Despite such an amazing feat, the dead had been brought to life. They were instructed to tell no one, but instead were told to give this girl some food, the girl who had really been dead. 
is now really alive. Let's think back to Jairus. Jairus, who was full of fear and trepidation over what to expect upon returning home. Expecting to find his daughter dead at just 12 years of age. And the fear of what the rest of his life would look like without her. But yet Jesus invited him to believe. Do not fear, but believe. Now, how strong do we think Jairus' faith was? Well, verse 42, his amazement suggests that even he didn't expect his daughter to be raised. And this is where Mark's contrast with the woman comes in so handy, so useful. It's not the amount of faith a person has that makes a difference, but rather who it is in. It's not the amount of faith. Let's say I could, I wholeheartedly, totally, 100% believe I could fly. Faith so sure that it might even convince some of you. But if I climbed those stairs and jumped off that balcony, some of you would need to make way for a crash landing. The amount of faith I have doesn't change the fact that I cannot fly. No, it's not the strength of the faith, but rather what? Or rather, in this case, in who that faith faith is placed in. Let's think of an aerospace engineer who knows every detail of the plane that he's flying in. He has full confidence in the physics required to keep them airborne. He has a complete knowledge of the training and the high standards that they have for pilots. He has a lot more faith, a lot more hope for a safe flight than the anxious passenger sat next to them, who is trusting the pilot, who's just a voice over the tannoy system, and the metal case that he's in to bring him down safely. Despite their levels of faith, they both land safely at their destination. See, it's not the strength of the faith, but what that faith is in. Who that faith is in. And that's what Mark, and ultimately Jesus, wants us to know in this passage. And it's important that we do, because it has real-life implications. It has real-life implications. Now, imagine, you're going to need to imagine really hard, that you're in a church, and at the front, there's a speaker who's full of charisma. That's why you need to imagine. And this speaker has the title of faith healer. And brought to him is a child with an incurable, incapacitating condition. The faith healer does his routine and nothing. The child remains sick. The hope that the parents had, the hope that the crowd had, crushed. And what is the defense what is the defense that the faith healer makes on why it didn't work, on why the child wasn't healed? Well, the faith healer turns and says, well, you obviously didn't have enough faith. Unfortunately, this is, isn't a situation that we need to imagine. But rather, many believers are being told that they or their loved ones are suffering or not being healed because of their lack of faith. Genuine believers questioning if indeed they are saved because they've been told they lack faith. At best, it's naive. At worst, it's pure evil. But here we see that whether you have the boldest of faiths, like the woman, or the weakest of faiths, like Jairus, what matters is not the strength of your faith, but rather who that faith is in. What matters is that your faith is in Jesus.
and why faith healers um, like that exist is because they read passages like this, passages like Mark chapter 5, as prescriptive instructions for all believers at all times, rather than a descriptive account of what happened and why Mark includes it in his gospel. So we're left asking the question, well, why has Mark included it here? Well, because it reveals that Jesus is to Christ, God's anointed king, and what his kingdom will be like. In knowing that, we can see the difference that Jesus makes to the rest of our years. The difference that Jesus makes to the rest of our years. In chapter 4 of Mark's gospel, he includes parables to tell us how the kingdom of God will come about, how it will grow. In Mark 1, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And we're left asking, what is that kingdom going to be like? Well, to discover what the kingdom will be like, we look at the king. And that's what Mark has done in this section. In this section, we have seen natural disasters, forces of evil, sickness, death, each one leaving people in a desperate situation, in a deathly desperate situation. But each one has had their situations resolved by Jesus. Natural disasters, forces of evil, sickness, they're all hallmarks of being in this fallen world. A world which is inflicted by the same sin that plagues us as humans. And the ultimate result of that sin is death. The final hallmark. In these miracles, Jesus is displaying that he has authority over these things. And that in his kingdom, these things will not be present. In his miracles, he is giving us, he is giving the disciples, those around them, glimpses, sneak peeks of what his kingdom will be like. And Mark wants us to link these four miracles together. Not only does each one have a fear and faith theme, but look at the situations and the outcomes. In the storm, the disciples are positive that they are dying. The demon-possessed man is living in the tombs. He himself, the embodiment of the living dead. The woman has an incurable illness. And for the 12-year-old girl, it's too late. She's already died. Each one has the theme of death. Each one has been rescued by Jesus. And that's why the crescendo of these miracles is the raising of the little girl. In the others, Jesus is just preventing death. He's delaying death. The storm was calmed and the disciples were prevented from, de- were prevented from death. The demon-possessed man rejoined society upon healing, away from the tombs, preventing death. The woman's incurable disease is cured, preventing death. You see, the question is, is Jesus just a teacher who can prevent death? Is he indeed just a really good doctor? Well, no. No, because in raising Jairus' daughter, this little girl, Jesus showed that he wasn't just a teacher, but he is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, the King who has authority over death. You see, Christ has the authority over the greatest fear, the common enemy, the wages of sin. He has authority over death. And so, as his people, we know that for us and for other believers, physical death is comparable to sleep. Just like Jairus' daughter, She is not dead. She is asleep. The same is true for all who are in Christ, who pass away, who experience a physical death. But even in that, we know that death will not have the victory. 
We know that death has indeed lost its sting. And we know this because our king has gone before us. He has made a way for us in our, death, in our deathly desperation to be made well, to be made clean, to have peace and escape the grip of death. Only it came at a far higher cost than his journey being delayed. came at a far bigger sacrifice than touching a dead body. It involved him, the king, laying aside his glory, eventually being tormented, tortured, humiliated, being made an outcast for me, for you, and for all who believe. And as he took this condition that has left us broken and empty, he took it upon himself as he died on the cross. But three days later, he rose victorious from the grave in all his glory. And now he sits on the throne, death defeated, peace on offer, resurrection guaranteed. Jesus is the king. And although he's on his throne and we are inhabitants of his kingdom, there's a great tension of the now but the not yet in the Christian life. We're not there yet. Sickness is not yet destroyed. Death is still present despite losing its sting. But because we have faith in the king, we know what this kingdom will be like. Turn with me to Revelation 21. It's right at the end of your Bibles. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea representing the chaos and the evil of the world. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Christians, brothers and sisters, this is where we are heading. A preview in Mark 5. A fuller picture in Revelation and a reality that waits for us. But what about us now? What about us who are in our own deathly desperation? There's some of us, some of us here who know the fear that sickness can bring. Who knows what it's like to sit in a hospital waiting room. Who knows what it's like to go through all the scans and the tests. Who knows the enclosing feeling of an MRI? Who has seen the doctor's face change when they look at their test results? Some of us know what it's like to have a loved one tell you, tell you some news that will shift your world forever. For some of us, it's not physical sickness, but mental. An unhappiness, an anxiety that just will not go away, that feels incurable. And there's some of us who know, who know what death is like. Who have lost loved ones, knowing that your lives on earth will never be the same. And for some of us, death isn't a hypothetical scenario in the future, 
but it's a lot closer than we would like. And that fear is real. That fear is real. But as I said at the start, sickness and death is something that we all face. We'll all face. Either we have faced it, we are in the present or in the midst of facing it, or we will face it. The effects of death and sickness are real. The fear that comes with them is real. But let us not look at it anywhere else but to the person of Jesus and to his words. Do not fear, but believe. Because in Jesus we have a king who has authority. An authority over sickness and death. And a king who has guaranteed us a kingdom which is coming. Where sickness and death will be destroyed. That kingdom is secure. That kingdom is sure. And he tells us to just believe. Do not fear, but believe. Putting our faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are holy. And we thank you for reminding us of the compassion and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. Lord, you recognize the brokenness of this world. You recognize the brokenness of ourselves. And Lord, we confess that we look in all the wrong places in our desperation, trying to mend the damage that we have caused of our sin. But Father, we thank you that in our desperation, you reached down to us. That you allowed us to hear about Jesus, just as the woman did. That in your grace, you opened our ears to hear his words. You opened our eyes to see him as king. The king who will make all things right. The king who meets us in our desperation. And the king who delivers us from the tyranny of death. Father, we long for when we will see the king upon his throne. When this broken world is a thing of the past and a new perfect world in your kingdom comes to fruition. When natural disasters, evil, sickness and death will be destroyed and a thing of the distant past. Father, we pray for those who are experiencing some of these things in our church family. We pray for the peace that was known by the woman to come upon them and to help them look to Jesus. And Father, we look forward to when we will experience the resurrection power that this little girl experienced. But Lord, until that day, still our fears, protect our faith, strengthen it, cause it to grow, Lord, but yet in times of weakness, remind us of the power and strength of whom our faith is in. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let us respond to God's word with worship. Bye.